You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel is written to us by Luke. When the days for Jesus being taken up were fulfilled, he resolutely determined to journey to Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead of him. On the way, they entered a Samaritan village to prepare for his reception there. But they would not welcome him because his destiny was Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they journeyed on to another village. As they were proceeding on their journey, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus answered him, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the human one has nowhere to lay his head. And to another he said, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But he answered, let the dead bury the dead. But you go and proclaim the reign of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to my family at home. To him, Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Well, I'm sure all of us are thinking, myself included, What kind of world is Jesus talking about? This is not the way you and I live. Avoiding our father's funeral, uh, telling the dead, as it were, to bury the dead. They're all clearly exaggerated statements, but why would he make such strong statements? No one who looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Haven't all of us looked back with kinds of regret or disappointment? Well, it all is built on the premise of Jesus being a prophet. So let's start with the first reading, Elijah. Elijah also has what I have often called an experience of the absolute an ecstatic experience, an experience in which the veil parts between this world and the next world. And once you see that, everything in this world is relativized and minimized and almost feels like nothing. I'm sure you've heard the story of Thomas Aquinas, who was considered our great Catholic scholar and wrote shelves of books and the Dominicans tell the story that 
a few weeks before he died, he had one momentary experience of Jesus visually, apparently. And he came back and he said, burn all my books. <laughs> They're worth nothing in relationship to what I just saw. Well, fortunately, Brother Reginald did not burn all his books, and we still have them. But what is this? This ecstatic, unitive, absolutizing experience. It's what happens to anyone who is God-soaked, God-delighted. Everything else looks like a small delight. Everything else looks like it's passing. And the two things that the prophet has to especially release us from are two things that look like good things. But yet they keep most of us in a very small world that I would call a tribal world. Most people think and cannot think beyond their own tribe. And so we see Elijah, uh, the symbolism of his killing the oxen and burning the plow is he's giving up his occupation. I'm going to proclaim this new message of the infinite love of God and not do my old work. I'm going to live in insecurity. Now, I know that doesn't make any sense. How do you survive in our culture that way? But there have to be people like this to help the rest of us call it all into question. Then if it isn't occupation that limits us, it's family. And that's what Jesus is addressing that most people think like their family thinks. And they can't get outside of it. Or you don't know what to say at Sunday supper. You've got to join in to their prejudices and their affirmations and their beliefs. They're not necessarily really what you believe or what you're prejudiced against, but to keep the family happy, you say it. And so most people's worldview remains very small. And they're threatened by what we call today otherness. Any kind of otherness is the ultimate threat. Black people, Mexican people, gay people, people of the other political party. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. It's so absolute. It is, so you see, this is no small point. It's killing America. No one can deal with anything except people just like me. This is what the gospel was meant to undo. Undo. So that people could live a new kind of life. Follow me wherever I go. And where does Jesus go? Into new cities, new worlds, new religions. What's just happened at the beginning of this gospel? 
He is sending messengers ahead to uh, the neighboring state, as we'd call it, where they're not Jewish, they're Samaritans. And his own disciples have so little got the point that they want to call down fire from heaven. He says, oh my God, have you guys learned nothing? No, they haven't. They really haven't. And so that's what inspires Jesus to talk this way. Even my own disciples are enemy creators. Enemies are created almost entirely in the mind. And if you don't have some form of prayer or detachment or deeper love, infinite love, that relativizes your own prejudices, you'll go there. I, as you know, I've preached in 45 countries, and I don't see any exceptions to it. Wherever you go, people hate somebody. The gospel meant and hoped to undo that. So I guess the question it offers us today is what new worlds are you willing to enter into? What otherness can you befriend? Can you go beyond your own tribe, whatever that is? If we can't, there is no future for the world. And maybe you think that's exaggerated, but I think it's that basic. God clearly loves and creates diversity. Everywhere, everywhere, diversity, diversity. Plants, animals, humans. Look at all your faces. In this little church, not two of you have the same face. Uh, God has no problem with that. You know who does? We do. We want everybody to look just like us. <laughs> what a waste of time. And I'm going to end on that.